So similar to how we've seen uh, account hijacking for however long there have been logins on machines, uh, account hijacking is a, is a large issue in social media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some great stories to share, and later in the show, we've got Joe's conversation with Sam Small. He's the Chief Security Officer at Zero Fox. But before that, we've got a quick word from our sponsors at know before. So how do you train people to recognize and resist social engineering? There are some things people think. Test them, and if they fall for a test scam, fire them. Or other people say if someone flunks the test, shame them. Instead of employee of the month, it's doofus of the day. Or maybe you pass out a gift card to the one who gets the A-plus for skepticism in the face of phishing. So how about it? What do you think? Carrots or sticks? What would you do? Later in the show, we'll hear what the experts at Know Before have to say. They're the sponsors of this show. And we are back. Joe, you want to kick things off for us this week? I do, Dave. I have an article from Hub Pages, which is a community of writers who produce things of interest to other people. And this one comes from Terry Davis, who worked for the California Department of Corrections for 25 years. Huh. And he was talking about inmate mail because inmates can send and receive mail, but all of that mail is monitored. Okay. And it is open and read by Department of Correction employees. And Terry noticed a pattern from one particular inmate while he was doing this detail. Yeah. And for the first week of every month, the inmate would send 10 handwritten letters a day to various women. Okay. The letters were all identical with the exception of the name of the woman and the address they were going to. Okay. But they were handwritten and they were written verbatim one to the next. And the letters always started with, I don't normally write to people, but, and then he'd say, I read your letter in Pen Pal magazine or something. Right. And he would go on to describe his situation and how he needed to have someone to communicate with because he was isolated. And even inside prison, he was isolated. He didn't have any friends on the outside, no family. And he would tell his story about how he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The reason he's in prison is because he didn't know they were going to commit a crime that night. He fell in with the wrong group of people and so on. And it was a long letter that he'd write. He's being straight up about being in prison. Right. And who knows if he colored the story in any way, shape or form, but... I would imagine it's heavily colored. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but not... It wasn't an outright scammer. By what this person, Terry, who wrote the article read, he was telling a plausible story. A plausible story, right. Yeah, okay. In the following weeks... Terry noticed that this inmate would be writing about one or two letters a day. Mm. He wouldn't be writing the same letters, but these letters were more tailored. For example, if the woman that he was writing to was a particularly religious woman, he would say that he had been going to chapel and that the the services were were actually becoming meaningful to him. And they'd have discussions about the sermons and they'd have Bible verse discussions and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, if the woman had kids, he would tell a story about how his father was abusive and abandoned his family and that he always wanted to have kids, but he, he would never treat his family like that. He wanted to be a good father. I see. Right. So he had a little from column A, a little from column B. Right. Depending on how the interaction went with these ladies he was writing letters exactly. to. Exactly. Okay. Eventually, he would have these pen pals sending him cash or stamps or something he could sell ah. for money. And then the next month, the process would start all over again with 10 letters a day. Okay. So one day, Terry gets to talk to this inmate one-on-one. -on -one, and he mentions to the inmate that 
he saw the pattern. You know, the inmates know their mail is red. Right. And the inmate is actually surprisingly frank with Terry. And he says that he buys a mailing list each month that has 100 women's names and addresses. And it, it gets this mailing list from a pen pal magazine whose target demographic is prison inmates. Huh. And the list cost him about 20 bucks to buy the list. Okay. He then sends the first week of letters. And in the following weeks, he's responding to the people who have responded to him. Right. And eventually he convinces these women to send him in cash and stuff. And he winds up making about $100 a month, which doesn't seem like a big take. Yeah. When you're in prison, it's significant. So each month he's raking in a profit of about 80 bucks, huh? which is probably significant. It's interesting because, I mean, I, I see this as, and also he's sort of filling the time. He, he's right. got a routine down. Week one, I do this. Week two, I do this. Exactly. He's got his own little small business here. He does. And he's filling the hours that he's, he's you know, got to fill there. So why what, not? What else is he going to do? Yeah. Uh, he also had a long game, though. He was looking for someone to move in with when he got out. Hmm. And he actually succeeded in getting someone, a woman to fall in love with him. Right. It's it becomes the long romance scam. Right. And on the day he was paroled, uh, she picked him up and took him home. Huh. And she was a divorced woman who had a nice house in a good neighborhood. The house was paid for. Right. So it was a stable home. And six months later, she comes home and he's gone. And so is all of her jewelry, all of her credit cards, Aww. all of her cash, you know. Yeah. So she gets she gets hurt pretty bad in this story. Terry's point in this whole article is this, that these inmates on the inside really have nothing but time. Right. That's what they're there to do is to serve time. And many of them will use that time to try to run scams like this with people on the outside. They'll even exploit their friends and family if they can. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me that the prison allowed this because anyone who would look at this would see right. he's writing multiple letters. He's He's got this little machine going here where yep. he's making money. I guess technically what he's doing is not against the rules. Right. It's probably there's, not even illegal. No, there's there's no rule against having pen pals. There's yep. He's not saying anything untrue. He's just saying out of the goodness of your heart, can you please send me some money? And people do. Right. Hmm. Now, fascinating. The thing to uh, put the word out about is to warn your friends that these scams exist. Right. What's interesting to me about this is that this guy does this even though it's a small scale operation for him. I mean, he's making 80 bucks a month, which right. is not not a huge amount of money. Yeah, but I, in, in prison, maybe it is. Right. It's exactly. enough. It's still it's still enough for him to continue to do it. Right. We had a story last week where someone lost like $40,000 to, yeah. to scammers. They were a little more advanced. But the spectrum of scam is very large in all directions. Yeah, that's interesting. I also wonder about the uh, the people who sign up to be pen pals with prisoners. I guess they're you know they want to be good people and help people to maybe in the time of need who want to who are sincerely want to reform themselves. But right. they have to be careful that they could be part of a long con here, like yeah. this guy did, fooling a woman to fall in love with him, have him move in, and he ended up taking her for. For a lot of uh, things she owned. Yeah, Terry makes a point in the article that he only ever saw one of these relationships work out in what people would consider a successful manner. Huh. And that 99% of the time it's a scam. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting stuff. That's, that's, a, that's a new one to me. Yep. Well, my story this week, I want to talk about some of the ways scammers are trying to target our paychecks. Mm. And I know a lot of us get our paychecks by direct deposit. 
Yes. That is probably the most convenient way to get paid. You know, you get an email however many times, once a week, every couple of weeks, whatever it is your, your interval is, and it says, congratulations, you've been paid. And the money just shows up in your bank account, hmm. and it's convenient. I don't get an email. You do not? No. Oh, well, I do. Okay. So to that point, there are several different ways that folks are trying to scam people out of their paychecks. And by the way, they're particularly targeting folks who work for universities. Ah, so I better pay attention. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they will send you a phishing email that looks like it came from HR and they'll say, we have to do a survey or we need some information from you in order to do X, Y, or Z. Please visit this site. They'll ask you a few questions and then they'll say, to verify you are who you are, please put in your username and password. Mm -hmm. And then they've got you. Right. Then they log into the HR system. And what they do is they change the routing information for your paycheck. Ah. So when you get your paycheck automatically deposited, direct deposited, it goes to another account that is not yours. Right. The problem with this is for the folks who don't get emails like you, I guess, right. um, it could take a couple days to realize that, hey, I didn't get paid. Right. And then you go to HR and you say, I didn't get paid this week. And they say, oh, well, let me look into that. And so there's this time delay. Right. And in the meantime, the scammers have Are got your money, the money and, out of the account. And they're gone. Right. They're, they're long gone. Now, there's another way that they can do this, and that is targeting HR. There was a someone sent us a story about uh, some scammers who were using information they had gotten from stolen applications for rental units in an apartment complex. So think about all the information you put down on a rental application. Right. Right. Uh, lots of personal information there. Lots of financial information. Maybe a canceled check from your right. employer. Yeah your signature, basically everything you need to pull off this scam. So these bad guys were using these applications that had been stolen from an apartment complex, and then they would send uh, an email or a fax to HR at the company and say, hey, this is Joe Smith, and I want to have my paycheck sent to my new bank account. Right. And the HR people would look at it, and they had everything they needed there. Right. They might even have the old bank account information. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Change they, yeah. it from this routing number in this account to this routing. Well, right. This checks out because they have the correct information. And here's, here's my signature, which checks out. Mm -hmm. And same thing would happen. So in this case, the HR people would change the routing information. And in this case, the person getting paid has no idea it's been changed. Right. Right. And uh, same sort of thing happens. It takes a little while to track down. And in the meantime, the money is gone. Right. So I have a question. Yeah. In these cases, who's liable? It's an interesting thing. There was a case of this where the university got hit and the university made the people whole mm -hmm. at their own expense, really out of the goodness of their heart. I think they said, okay, we're going to make sure everybody gets paid this one time. Right. <laughs> well, if I am, as a university employee, a victim of a phishing scam where I provide my login credentials... Right. Right. And then the scammers then use the information I provided to change my routing information. I would understand if they said we're going to do this this one time. But in, yeah. the, in the second case where you talk about somebody sending a fraudulent fax to HR and HR just going ahead and changing the information, I think if that happens 100 times, the university should be liable or the yeah. employer, any, yeah. any, any employer. Because I think that's reasonable. There should be better checks and balances than I receive a fax and I go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a, a tip here that caught my eye, something that uh, I hadn't heard before in terms of protecting yourselves to replying to these possible phishing emails. Mm -hmm. And that was if you're suspicious about an email, say you get an email from HR, rather than using your email's reply feature, use your forward feature. 
So you get an email from HR, hit the mm -hmm. forward button, and then you manually enter in the email for HR. Right. right? Chances are you're going to have the right email address for HR in your, your address book. Right. So it's going to, even if it auto enters it, it's going to be the correct one from HR. So that way you're, you're less likely to be replying to a scam email address, a lookalike email address, correct. something like that. I thought that was a clever tip. I hadn't really thought about that. One. It's a little small little step that could lower the chances of you replying to a phony email address. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like entering the URL when you get the Bank of America letter. Yep. Don't click on the link. Yep. Or email, rather, not a letter. But don't click on the link. Enter Bank of America in your web browser. It's the same kind of thing. You're just doing it in the to field of your email. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to change the world, but it's a good little tip and right. uh, probably a good habit to get into. It doesn't take you a whole lot of extra time. Right. All right, Joe, uh, those are our stories. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. All right. Joe, our catch of the day this week was sent in by a listener. This is someone who goes by the name Floetry. Floetry. Which I think is lovely, like poetry with an FL. And so this email that they sent us is titled, Stop Contacting the Wrong Office. <laughs> and it goes like this. Sometimes I wonder if you are really, really with your senses. How could you keep trusting people and at the end you will lose your hard-earned money? Or are you being deceived by their big names? They impersonate on many offices, claiming to be governors, directors, chairmen, or of one office or the other. Their game plan is only just to extort your hard-earned money. Now the question is, how long will you continue to be deceived? Sometimes they will issue you fake check, introduce you to fake diplomatic delivery unexisting online banking and they will also fake wire transfer of your fund with payment stop order and even send you fake ATM cards etc anyway by virtue of the position I have been following this transaction from inception and all your efforts toward realizing the fund more often than not I sit down and laugh at your ignorance and that of those who claim they are assisting you it is very unfortunate that at the end you lose although I don't blame you because you are not here in Nigeria to witness the processing of your payment in Nigeria. Hmm. The problem you are having is that you have been told the whole truth about this transaction, and it is because of this truth that they decided to be extorting your money. The most annoying part is even fraudsters have really taken advantage of this opportunity to enrich themselves at your expense. Those you feel are assisting or working for you are your main problems. I know the truth surrounding this payment, and I am the only person who will deliver you from this long suffering if you will abide by my advice. Whew, thank you. They claim they are helping you and forward all the fraudulent emails you receive to them. At the end, they do nothing about the fraudsters. Soon they will ask you to pay money to receive a compensation of millions of dollars. Do not pay any money to them because they are only interested in your hard-earned money and you will never receive any compensation in return. They will always keep coming back to ask for more money. Please, I beseech you to stop pursuit of shadows and being deceived. Feel free to contact me immediately if you receive this email so that I can explain to you the modus operandi guiding the release of your payment. Do not panic. Be rest assured that this arrangement will be guided by your embassy here in Nigeria. You are urgently requested to provide me with the following information. <laughs> Full name, address, telephone number, passport or national identity copy... Contact me upon the receipt of this mail if you wish to receive your fund and stop wasting your hard-earned money. I wait your urgent response. Yours sincerely, Mr. Ibrahim Mustafa Magu, Chairman, Economic and Financial Crime Commission. Wow. <laughs> that is an excellent catch of the day. <laughs> I haven't seen one this good in a while in terms of just Nigerian scams. Yeah. This is 
Excellent. Kind of turns it on its head, doesn't it? Does. It does. Hey, hey, there are Nigerian scammers out there, but you can trust me. I'm here in Nigeria. <laughs> That's right. Brilliant. Right. I, I am it. your I am your friend on the ground here <laughs> right. in Nigeria. I am the chairman of the Economic and Financial Crime Commission, and I am the one who will make sure you get all of your you- <laughs> Nigerian money. Right. Don't trust those other folks. You can trust me. Poetry, this is awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. That is our catch of the day. Thanks for sending it in. Coming up next, we've got Joe's interview with Sam Small. He's the chief security officer at Zero Fox. But first, a word from our sponsors, Know Before. Let's return to our sponsor, Know Before's question. Carrots or sticks? Stu Showerman, Know Before's CEO, is definitely a carrot man. You train people, he argues, in order to build a healthy security culture. And sticks don't do that. Approach your people like the grown-ups they are, and they'll respond. Learning how to see through social engineering can be as much fun as learning how a conjuring trick works. Hear more of Stu's perspectives in Know Before's weekly Cyber Heist News. We read it, and we think you'll find it valuable, too. Sign up for Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash news. And we are back. Joe, you recently had the opportunity to speak with Sam Small from Zero Fox. I did. Sam is a Hopkins alum, and he's also the chief security officer at Zero Fox. Ah. And he was good enough to give me some of his time for the interview. Let's take a listen. All right. So similar to how we've seen uh, account hijacking for however long there have been logins on machines, uh, account hijacking is a, is a large issue in social media. So for instance, we see numerous examples where uh, either the official social media account for an organization or account uh, that belongs to maybe a CEO or a CTO of a large corporation will be hijacked by an adversary or attackers and then used to either propagate messages or potentially uh, malicious links, things like that, to the audience of that particular account. Likewise, we see a lot of targeting. While you might see ultimately a very traditional type of attack uh, at the end of the process, a lot of events start today with targeting of either employees of your organization or of the customers that an organization may have. So obviously with social, there's a little bit of implied trust that, okay, uh, you know, this account that's messaging me has a picture or a photo of someone who looks real and a name that sounds real. And when I, when I look at their social history, it seems real, et cetera. But at the end of the day, what we really are seeing is maybe, you know, social engineering having grown up and going to college and and being proliferated at scale. And so uh, that's another very common vector that we see. And, you know, that leads into kind of the next category that I like to talk about, which is social phishing and malware. And then additionally, there's kind of more compliance related kind of issues and risks that many organizations face. So for instance, sharing information publicly uh, on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram, either uh, via text or uh, maybe something that's on a whiteboard and a picture that someone's posting, you know, we see those types of problems very often. So for instance, you can imagine if a, if a group of nurses were posing for a picture together inside of a hospital, uh, but maybe behind them on a whiteboard is some confidential patient information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a HIPAA violation potentially. Right. So I could go on and on, but there's a, there's a wide array of, of risks that are out there that uh, lead to compromise and material damage for organizations. We had a story a couple of weeks ago on our podcast about someone who had taken over a verified Twitter account and then changed all the information to look like it was Elon Musk's account. 
so they could mm-hmm. run a Bitcoin scam. You're talking about account hijacking. And while this is kind of account hijacking, it's also account hijacking paired with impersonation. That's right. Yeah. So impersonation is you've hit the nail on the head. That is the key word here. And so fraudulent accounts is another category we talk a lot about at Zero Fox. And, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of the bucket that we would put that particular story in as well. And, and so organizations face this challenge. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is if you have an inventory of all your social accounts, much in the same way you might have an inventory of all the, the machines on your network or all the IP addresses you know, assigned to your organization, you can monitor those assets all day long. But what are you doing to monitor the accounts that are pretending to be part of your organization or that are pretending to be the voice of your brand or your company? And that's really where the brave new world is in this part of our industry. But there are additional concerns as well. So for instance, you might even imagine physical risk. You might not expect it, but physical risks are another interesting area that many of our customers have concerns about. And so for instance, you might imagine that if you're an organization that is either putting on or hosting an event, or likewise, maybe you're an organization with uh, high profile executives uh, that are traveling, it's important to be as vigilant as possible. And you may want to gather all of the traditional signals from maybe the State Department or local police coverage or things like that. But uh, you would be remiss in not also collecting uh, the data that is uh, proliferated on social media around risks and, uh, and threats that exist in either relation to your exact event or the exact location that one of your executives is traveling or the broader region in general. This is one of the areas where we see digital threats transcend into the physical realm. And likewise, even just last week, I was working with a customer where uh, we started with a threat that came through the U.S. Postal Service. And we took the indicators and some of the information that was in that document and then transcended into the digital space to try to identify if there were other overlapping indicators or other types of noise related to that particular type of threat. So it's a, it's a really interesting space from that perspective. You don't often see, you know, with traditional malware, you don't see yourself hopping from, from the virtual space to the physical space and vice versa. It's not always the case that we're synthesizing information from various sources, but ultimately that's really where the power lies here is that you have all of these different uh, sources and we're trying to synthesize intelligence and data and information across these sources as they all relate to ultimately either a single entity, a single brand, a single location, a single person, or a single persona. I like scary stories, Sam. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any anything that your customers have experienced that you can tell without obviously violating any of your customers' confidentiality where something has actually happened or malware has been distributed or maybe even physical harm has happened? I will give you a few generic examples okay. uh, that don't involve our customers, but they do involve real people in real organizations. And these are more stories I've collected and we've collected here at ZeroFox over the years from public facing events. So one of the types of attacks that's, that's fairly common begins with customers who are trying to either express frustration or seek help from a brand or a retailer that they've interacted with. So for instance, if you bought something from a retailer or you, uh, whether they're online or a traditional brick and mortar store and you're an unhappy customer or you're seeking customer support, a lot of that stuff happens on social these days. I'm sure everyone has seen that type of occurrence. And so often what happens is attackers kind of lay in wait for someone to at mention a retailer or use a hashtag related to a particular organization's campaign. And then what they'll do is they'll have an account set up lying in wait that has the same logo as the organization that's mentioned, 
same display name as the organization that's mentioned, and perhaps a slightly different but realistic looking handle, regardless of the social network that it's on. And then what will happen is uh, because this communication kind of happens in real time where you, you send a tweet and you get a tweet back immediately or you send a message and you get a message back immediately, it can easily fool even a sophisticated user into thinking that they're interacting with the organization that they're trying to reach or that they've mentioned. And then normally what happens is uh, someone, uh, the adversary will share a link saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry you're experiencing this pain with our service or our product, or let me put you in touch with the right people, you know, follow this bit.ly link. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, you have, you know, a drive-by download, or you have a form that looks very much like the login page to one of these services, whether it be, you know, like a PayPal or, uh, or Amazon or what have you. Now you have either a compromised machine or a compromised account. And guess what? If you don't follow great security hygiene and you reuse your credentials, then not only is it that account that you've given the adversary access to, but probably every other service where you reused uh, those same credentials. I could also imagine that being an opportunity just to say, hey, just for validation, can I have your credit card number that you use to purchase this? Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. What's your, either what's your, what's your credit card number or, you know, give us your social security number yeah. or, you know, what have you. you. know, you need to reset your password. Please follow this link and reset your password here. Again, you know, giving access to, uh, to, to your password uh, that you would typically use for that service. What can individuals do to protect themselves against these kind of attacks where somebody's jumping into the middle like that? It's important to be aware of and know how to recognize the UI and UX of verification. So a lot of these platforms uh, like Facebook and Twitter have the concept of verified accounts. Uh, and if you know how to recognize that, that can give you a sense of assurance that you're that you're speaking with or engaging with the brand as you intend. Um, that being said, uh, attackers also use that to their advantage as well. So we've we've certainly seen adversaries try to cleverly use emoji or uh, international characters or um, their cover photo to spoof uh, verification. So another way to help uh, identify the authentic uh, entities that you're trying to communicate with is by going directly to their web page and looking for an indication of what their official uh, Facebook pages or what their fi- official Twitter pages, et cetera. So you know, it never hurts. Just like w- when people are fished, we always give them the advice of, hey, if you get a really great looking link from a retailer in your inbox and it looks too good to be true or it looks a little funny, then just go to that retailer's website directly yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's very much uh, the same advice there. Also, I would say typically be suspicious of shortened links. And you know, depending on the provider, there are tricks that you can use to see what the ultimate destination or what the redirection chain is for a shortened link. So for instance, with Bitly, one of the things that you can do is uh, take any Bitly link. If you were to copy it and then paste that URL in the URL bar of your browser, if you add just a plus sign at the end of a bit, any Bitly link, Bitly will display kind of a dashboard page that explains not only where this Bitly link uh, will direct you to, but also gives you basic statistics about how many times it's been clicked and where those people are coming from, et cetera. So that's also kind of an interesting thing that can help give people more confidence about (laughs) what exactly they're clicking on. Wow, Joe, interesting stuff from Sam at Zero Fox. Yeah, yeah. First off, the thing that sticks out in this is how old am I that I can't think of six social networks off the top of my head? <laughs> I'm with you there, my friend. I am I am with you. Yes, yes. So the kids these kids these days with, with their <laughs> with their snap 
chats and their links and then, yeah. And their WhatsApp bots. Yeah, exactly. Right. Once again, Dave, we hear that security events start with customers or employees being targeted. Mm -hmm. It's it's the beginning of the attack chain. Yep. The people are the first thing to be attacked. And social media presents a huge attack surface. Right. An absolutely huge attack surface. We don't even think about these things that we're doing on social media. Uh, Like the example Sam gives about the nurses uh, taking a picture with patient data behind Right, right. That's a HIPAA violation, or it could be a HIPAA violation. You just don't even think about it. It's just not not present in your your front of mind. I would view it as an honest mistake. No, I saw one recently with some folks in the military who were standing in front of some terminal that had a sticky note on it that had the username and password for some defense system. Right. You know, (laughs) just just a nice nice photo of everybody, and there it is. There it is. Yeah, interesting. But while social media does present the huge attack surface, it also offers an opportunity to collect risk data, which is what Sam was talking about as well. Mm. And that is a great way of looking at the social media landscape a little bit differently, I think. And it's useful. I, I find that very interesting. Again, we hear to protect yourself as, as the individual user, go to the company's website, verify what their social media accounts are, make sure you're talking to the right person. Yeah, who you think you're talking to. Be familiar with how like Twitter, for example, verifies its users that little blue check. And, and there are a lot of things that look like the little blue check. I saw an account the other day that had something that looked kind of like a little blue hurricane next to it. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that person is trying to deceive people into believing he's validated. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I love the bit.ly feature. Of, with the plus. With the plus sign. I, I had no idea that was even possible. Me neither. And uh, I tried it with a couple of links and it's, it's fascinating. You can see the click history of it. And yeah. All kinds of great stuff. No, it's it's, it's a good great. Tool. Yeah, it really is. Well, uh, thanks to Sam for taking the time for us and uh, from uh, Zero Fox. We, we appreciate that. Lots of good information. Mm-hmm. And that is our podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, Know Before. Their new school security awareness training will help you keep your people on their toes with security at the top of their mind. Stay current about the state of social engineering by subscribing to their Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. Think of Know Before for your security training. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University the Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 